Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is episode number 30 of the Underdog Podcast, and we're a little bit honored to be lucky number 30. Can't believe it's already been at 30 episodes, but I guess that's kind of going to happen when you got three different conferences to go through. But this particular episode will be the ninth edition of what we've been calling Joe Talk, and that's two American Joes talking about American Athletic Conference football. But before we dive into it, let me introduce my co-host. His name is Joey Brobeck. What's going on, my friend? What's up, Joe? How you doing? Like we were just saying before we got started, we're doing this a little bit early this week. It's a Monday. It's Monday. You know, first day of the week. Feels a little, you know, like that vibe. But we do have plenty to talk about on this episode. Plenty to get into. But before we do all that, make sure you're following Underdog Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you're just somehow listening through the website and make sure you leave us some reviews to let us know how we're doing. And so before we kick this off, let me give you a brief rundown of how the show is going to go here. We're going to start it by talking about a little bit about the Navy versus Memphis game, which I both can agree was the highlight for the conference this weekend. We're going to talk about a couple teams that struggled this weekend and we really didn't see coming. We now have three AAC teams ranked. We'll go through the power rankings like we usually do. And then, of course, end the show previewing week eight. So, like I said, let's kick it off with running back of what happened between the Navy and the Memphis game. Joey, tell me what you saw from the Tigers this weekend. Because, you know, kind of like we said last week, it was two contrasting offenses. You really saw that in the game this week. But it was Memphis that pulled away with the win and basically – you know, knocked Navy from the number 25 spot and took their spot there. Yeah, like we saw earlier in the season, Navy played weaker competition, and I think that kind of showed through. And in the first half, the game was close, but you could just tell that Navy's defense couldn't really stop Memphis's offense. And that's part of the game is Memphis offense made a few mistakes, had some overthrows, and allowed Navy to stay in the game. But in the end, when your quarterback has five turnovers, it's hard to win a game at that point because you're just giving Memphis so many opportunities to score. And going into the se- or I guess in the first half of the season, Memphis defense was their biggest concern. I think we kind of saw that in the UCF game two weeks ago. They just weren't ready for that kind of attack, and that was what concerned me going in is their defense – hadn't proven that they could stop somebody and then you throw in a unique offense like the triple option offense and I was a little bit concerned but it was actually the defense that they were a big factor in in the win on Saturday and the offense did their thing and didn't give Navy many chances to get the ball inside their end but the defense really stepped up big and that was really surprising. You brought up the five turnovers that obviously was the game changer in it but I think you know I was just looking at the stat line and a quarterback completes just one pass. I'm, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what offense you run. You know, you got to be able to complete more than one pass in the game just to at least show a defense, you know, some kind of threat that you can possibly do that. So one pass for 20 yards is not going to get it done. I mean, the game ended on basically on an interception that Abby threw. You know, the guy can obviously get his job done on the ground, but they're going to have to figure out a way to at least complete somewhere between. I'm not saying he's got to complete 15 passes, but complete eight, nine passes if the game calls for it. Because they were in that game for most of it, if you think about it. But then in the end, 
came down to that turnover to, on that drive there that ended it for them. But it was a game in which they also dominated time of possession, which we talked about last week. We knew that would be the case, but Memphis, they went up and down the field as they always do. So it was a game like that where Memphis, like we said, they're now in the top 25 with some of the other teams that we've talked about already. Uh, we're going to talk about UCF and USF in a little bit. But I guess now we can talk about a couple of teams that really struggled this weekend. And I guess we can really kick it off with the Houston. I mean, that's a game where I know we both picked Houston to win that for our P6 pick'em. Neither one of us saw that debacle coming. Tell me what you saw from the Cougars, or was this more about Tulsa finally showing up to play in the conference game? Well, one thing that I thought in the back of my mind was Houston's been struggling to run the ball offensively all year, and they're facing a defense that was the worst defending the run. But if you watched any of the Cougars games, you saw the struggle to run the ball. The running backs just weren't finding any holes. And we thought that last week they might have had a breakthrough. Duke Catalan had 177 yards rushing and two touchdowns. But that just wasn't the case. It seemed that Tulsa, I don't know for what happened, but for whatever reason, Tulsa's defense came ready to play. And the run game wasn't there for Houston. Catalan and Dylan Burden combined for 150 yards rushing, but in the end, the offense just sputtered. I mean, they had they had a couple drives where they were moving the ball down the field, and then for whatever reason, things just stalled, and then they fell behind because of turnovers. And the offense was responsible for 21 of Tulsa's points, either directly or indirectly. It comes down to. The offensive line play has been pretty poor so far, and quarterback play is still a big question. We're going to hear a lot about this going forward. I guess my question is, I don't really understand why Kyle Allen went straight to the bench. I understand that he struggled, and Postma had a good game against Texas Tech, but I don't think that just means that Allen deserved to go right to the bench. I think he deserved to share time with Postma going forward, but... For whatever reason, Appleweight decided that Allen needed to see the bench and Postman needed his shot. And now they've seen the same amount, of, nearly the same amount of time, and they have pretty much the same stats. Postman has 150 rushing yards, whereas Allen doesn't run the ball. But I'm, I think that's the thing that still confuses me is why Allen went straight to the bench versus a two quarterback system. I don't see things in practice, obviously, so maybe something happened there, but. I'm just curious to see if Allen does come back in, it, is his confidence going to be shaken because of the benching? Or I, I just, I'm not really sure what to think about this offense going forward. The receivers are fine, but it seems that everything else involved in that offense is a question mark. The defense is playing fine. They give up more yards than they did last year, obviously, but they're still keeping this team in games and the offense is what really concerns me going forward. And I think there's so many question marks at certain positions offensively that I'm not really sure what kind of Houston team we're going to have for the rest of the season. For every reason you just named there, uh, Houston's going to be one of those teams that I think we kind of said going into this, we thought they would be one of the top teams in the conference, but that might not be the case looking back what we saw this past week here. But kind of moving forward, we uh, brought up another team that I wanted to mention that's had a disappointing weekend and that's the Temple Owls. I don't think either one of us saw that loss coming. You're at home against the UConn team that's really struggled. Somehow they come in there, it's a 28-4 loss for the Owls, and then 
for Logan Marchi, it's another game where he turns the ball over after starting the season with five TDs and no turnovers in the first three games. Since then, he's got nine interceptions compared to just four touchdowns. And this game, two turnovers that stalled the game. Then there was another three drives in it on turnover on downs. The penalty yardage was another big factor in here. Temple had 12 penalties for 117 yards. And this is when Temple, for the most part, they outgained almost double the yardage that UConn put up and still can't find ways in the end zone. Um, it's starting to be kind of disappointing just because, like I said, all season long, this ground game has never really become as potent as we thought it would be coming into the season. Armstead had a decent game, I guess if you want to call that, and I keep bringing him up just because I expected much better from him heading into this year. But it was another game from Temple where I just, we keep saying that their offense is going to be, we don't know. And we still don't know. We're seven games in the, end of the year. Um, they're registered to the guy that I keep talking about now. They just announced it a couple of days ago. That was Todd Senio. So I guess they're going to go into the, close this year out with Marchie instead of making a switch. Um, tell me what you thought of the Owls' latest performance. Well, I don't have anything to add to anything that you just said. I completely agree with where you're at with this team. I, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a positive stat to kind of get, not to get your hopes up, but something to look look forward to going forward. Marchie's actually third in the conference in passing yards. Now, Mackenzie Milton has one last game, so you could just, you could argue that. But, he, I mean, he's still third. That That kind of surprised me. Yeah, the turnovers have been concerning, but... The fact that he's third on Temple's, with Temple's offense, and there are plenty of teams that should be ahead of him, or plenty of quarterbacks, excuse me, that should be ahead of him, but he is third right now. But yeah, like you said, the rest of the offense, the turnovers, it's, I mean, we could go on for, we could do a whole podcast on looking at what Temple's problem is and where they need to improve, which seems like everywhere they need improve right now, but at least, you know, they have a few positives to look forward to. Yeah, but I also feel, you brought up those stats, I also feel that a lot of that is because of, I just said it, the ground game is not doing its part, so they're almost forced to throw the ball. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know I know it's at least 40 passes thrown again this week. That's not a Temple offense that you know we're accustomed to. Granted, I understand we're under a new regime now, and things are supposed to be different than they were under rule, but... I'm like, I keep bringing up, this was supposed to be a run first team coming in a year and that hasn't been the case. So that's the real reason why I think Marchie has those numbers that you talked about there. And I think that's part of the reason why too, that hey, he's slinging the ball so much that he's got nine interceptions compared to four touchdowns as of late. So that's been hard to watch for me. Uh, we're going to talk some positive before we dive into some more negatives about some of these teams. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about we already talked about Memphis a little bit, but UCF is also ranked now. We got them at number 17. U- or excuse me, UCF is at 20. USF is at 17. So that gives the conference three ranked teams the only non-Power 5 conference to have teams ranked, or we keep talking about it. I guess that's a solid thing if you're really going to talk about this Power 6 movement. And then Navy also got a couple of votes with the loss. Are we convinced that this is really going to be like I just said the power six because of we got three ranked teams or can we see as we just saw San Diego State was the other one that kind of just dropped out of the G5 schools but it really looks like that this is the conference that is going to be that G5 conference 
that's going to make that push. Yeah, I don't think they're there quite yet. They've shown flashes, obviously. I mean, there's a there's a team in almost every conference that has as a game that makes you pay attention to them more. I mean, Troy beat LSU this year. Memphis, who beat UCLA. UCF beat Maryland. South Florida beat Illinois, if you really want to count that. But, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. I think everybody kind of laughs at this movement because they think it's comical that somebody's trying to make a push to be another power conference. But those same people, I think, are the ones that don't want any to have any separation between the Power Five and the Group of Five. And if there's not going to be anything done to make that gap closer or smaller, I should say, then why not do a power conference? Like, why wouldn't you try to do that? I think in the end, it's going to be a good movement. And I think right now people are kind of laughing at it because it's in the early stages. But I do think in terms of for better competition in college football as a whole, this is the right way to go. What I like to see about this too is, and I mean, we can kind of just do this now is because we're starting to see as the years progress, not just this season too, um, as over the years, we're seeing which schools there's already, of course, have been some that have been in a discussion to be taken away from other power conferences should they expand. So the top two schools, I guess we can argue in this conference right now are the top two teams that are in the rankings, which is USF and UCF. And they really could go elsewhere during and probably do pretty well in some of these other conferences. And I think that's part of the reason why the AAC can really make this push because it's not just them. You know, Houston has shown that they could do this over the years. And uh, we always underestimate Navy and somehow they remain competitive, even not just talking this year. I'm talking about it every year. Somehow they managed to be in contention to win the West there. They always give any team they play in the country, for the most part, a scare going in every, every game. And then now we have teams like Memphis on the rise who have shown over the past couple of years that they can really compete with just about anyone you mentioned in the UCLA game, so that's perfect proof there. SMU is a team that's probably up and coming. Um, and we would like to see, obviously, teams like Tulane and Cincinnati be those schools that also contend with those power schools so maybe in the upcoming years we can see that but that's i guess because we kind of just really did it there um talk about where we're going to go with this week's power rankings and we're kind of going to break this down into a little bit of tiers of you know what schools we think are the best ones here so i guess i'll let you get started here and you talk about the the first three that we have for this week and that's the obvious ones it's the three teams that are ranked yeah, so we have UCF, USF, and Memphis. Which order you want them in is up for debate. I think everybody knows where I would have all three of those teams. When you watch this season, you can tell that these are the three teams that are the top teams right now, and they've created separation from the rest of the conference, at least for now. Now we have a few top matchups coming up in the next couple weeks that will give us a little bit more clarity or maybe more confusion. But right now, those three teams are far and away more complete than the other teams. And you can't argue it. I mean, obviously, just because not just because of the ranked teams now, but just because what we have seen on the field, too. Those are by far the, the three best teams in this conference. 
And then the, I think you said it best. It's the teams that are good but are not great. That's like the next group down from there. And that's where we're going to go with the Navy, Houston, and we're going to put SMU in that group too just because, I, like I just said not too long ago, I think they're a team that's really on the rise here. Uh, we just brought up the fact that two of those teams kind of, well, not Navy, I wouldn't say it was a disappointing loss, but they're coming off a loss. Houston is a team that maybe not this year, they're not the competitive team that we thought they were going to be to contend with this conference, but we sh- expect them to be that style of team almost every year, year in, year out for the most part. At least be at this point, you would, it would be really disappointing to see them in the next, the next year that we got here, which we're not called, they're, I would say they're more the teams that could be on the rise or to, to be determined, I think probably be best bet. And we have that group being Tulane, Tulsa, and Cincinnati. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I think this, the thing that makes this group different than the bottom teams is they've consistently showed flashes of promise, I guess you could say. I mean, Tulane's three and three, and they've been competitive. They lost to Navy by two, but they've been competitive in every, almost every game that they've been in. And they've showed us that they're not a bottom team anymore. Cincinnati's been struggling lately, but at the beginning of the season, they showed that their defense could compete even with, they, they showed they could compete with Michigan for a while and the game eventually got out of hand, but they showed that they were able to stay in that game and be competitive. And then you just saw Tulsa this weekend, they upset Houston and while they were kind of trending towards this last group that we'll talk about, they're showing that they can still play a little bit of defense and the offense is showing that they can still at least run the ball and they threw the ball better in the last game, but they at least have certain positives that shine through every week versus this this last group that we talk about. They kind of lack that promise on either side of the ball. Yeah, and it pains me to put Temple down in this bottom group like we have, especially seeing how I mean, they're defending conference champions. But I think it's more of just because there was just so much turnover. We've talked about it coming into the year. New coach, new quarterback, new style of offense, new style of defense. Quarterback play has been bad. You know, we've talked about it already. It's bad to say the least. There's been so many games where it's been one touchdown scored and then they're kicking a couple field goals. And this is day and age of college football. That's just not going to do it. It's just not going to do it. UConn's offense, you know, we talked about coming in. They, we know they weren't going to be great, and somehow they pulled off that win there. ECU, again, continues to struggle. These are the three teams that I think by the year end, you know, I don't want to say that – I could never say that Temple will be below these two teams because I still think in the end that they have the better talent on the team in regards of prospects or whatnot. But in terms of play right now, that's the group that uh, finishes out this conference right now. Yeah, Temple's, Temple's, I think, more consistent, too, than UConn or ECU. I think we've seen that, so we can give them that. And even though they're in the bottom, I say that Temple's definitely at the top, and then there's a little distance, even though UConn beat Temple. UConn and ECU have not shown nearly as much consistency as Temple has. Yeah, not at all. I mean, at least defense for Temple is still done well for them 
they always try to keep themselves in games. I give Temple's defense that. They always try to keep them in the game other than the USF game and Notre Dame game. But they've always been there. It'll be interesting to see what's coming up ahead this week. So let's go into previews of what's up this week. And like you said before we started, it's an early one this week. There was a Thursday game. I knew that the game was on deck, that the Memphis, well, I guess I'll just go through it. It's Thursday night game at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Number 25, Memphis on the road at Houston, which will be a great game. should be a good matchup for the AAC, and since it is Thursday night, it'll be a nice night, hopefully, for them to showcase themselves a little bit. Houston is a three-point favorite, which is basically Vegas saying that they feel that these teams are kind of equal which I guess shocks me considering what we've seen from these two teams in the past couple of weeks. Yes. Talent-wise, oh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but talent-wise I could see Houston, why Vegas feels that way, but I think we both can agree that in our eyes Memphis is the better team right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think Memphis defensive struggles are probably what makes these two teams somewhat equal because Houston's offense has struggled probably just as much as Memphis's defense. And I think from from what I saw last game, now granted it's one game, Memphis has taken a step defensively. And it's because they're, so they had a bunch of injuries at the beginning of the year, which forced a lot of younger players to step up and play in those positions, which we saw what happened against UCF. The youth obviously wasn't ready for that. But now that they've had time to learn their positions and they've gotten on the field and they've had significant reps, they're starting to play a little bit better. So if anything, the three points for Houston is, like you said, a little surprising. Now, Houston's defense is arguably the best defense that Memphis will see all year. You could probably put UCF up there, obviously, too, but they haven't seen anybody like Ed Oliver. I can guarantee you that, so that's another thing that they have to worry about. Memphis's offensive style is more through the air. They don't run the ball there as much, although their running game has been better, so they could probably negate Oliver's impact, but they're going to have to run the ball regardless, so... They're probably going to try to avoid him as much as possible, double team like every other team has done. And, I I mean, going into this year, we thought this would be a very significant game for the AAC West race. And it still is, but I think because of Houston's little struggles, the game has lost a little bit of meaning. But it's still, obviously, the best game this week, and it still has a big impact on the AAC West race. Yeah, the West is still technically wide open. That's one thing, basically, the loss by Navy last week really did. It kind of opened up this comp, or that side of the conference for, honestly, just about everyone. Uh, even SMU is technically still in on that side there, because there's all, most of the teams on that side only have one loss. You got Navy's at three and one in the conference. Uh, Memphis two and one, Houston two and one. So this is a, could be a real deciding factor, or I should say, really gives the, the winner a leg up on the West over there. So, That'll be something to keep an eye on there. You kind of mentioned everything that about that this will be the best defense that Memphis does see. I still think that Riley Ferguson in the end, you know, we talked about it earlier that quarterback play for Houston has been a real struggle. Ferguson has been one of the best, if not the best quarterback in this conference. So in my eyes, Memphis should go into Houston. I understand it's a tough thing to do, but go into Houston and pick up a W here. 
I was going to say the one thing to keep in mind is we saw what happened last year when Louisville came in with Lamar Jackson. Granted, he wasn't having a great stretch there, but we saw what happened when they came to Houston. And it's just, I think it's just different there when you have to travel to Houston and that crowd's going to be ready just like the team's going to be ready. And the defense is going to feed off of their, their energy. And Memphis definitely is going to have to be prepared. But yeah, like you said, I don't see why Memphis can't go down and pull out a win there. Now the next game on the docket, well, the rest of the games that week actually are all on Saturday. We got a couple of noon games. The first one being Temple. They will be traveling to West Point to take on Army. That game's, like I said, at noon and it's at CBS Sports Network. Army is a six point favorite. I feel like that is respectable considering Army's having a pretty solid season at five and two. Compared to Temple at three and four, we just talked about how inept Temple's offense has been. Uh, Army is very similar to Navy, as we just talked about a little bit earlier. They also have a quarterback that is not complete in many passes as well. He's actually only completed seven passes on the season. But again, that kind of comes back to the offense. I feel like that six-point number is more because of how bad Temple's offense has been this year. And I know we're supposed to be the podcast here that really talks about Army, so I kind of feel bad that we haven't talked about him here. But this is a game where I do feel like Army should not only win the game, but probably cover that six-point there. Well, I saw last week that Army won their second game this season without completing a pass, and that just goes to show you how good their, their running game is. And Temple's definitely in for, not a surprise because they're going to be ready for it, but they're, they have a big test stopping Army's offense. And yeah, like you said, we haven't really talked about Army that much, which is too bad because they've been having a solid season. And I think six points to me with Temple's struggles almost might be a little bit low just because Army is at home. Like we, like I mentioned earlier, Temple's been consistent more so than obviously the lower two teams. So I think that's what is going into, or is factoring in, I should say to the six points it wouldn't surprise me to see temple be competitive in this game or even win but i think army's triple option is just running so well and if you can win obviously if you win two games without completing the pass that just shows you that they don't need to do that and they can just win games running the ball yeah and obviously that's that's how the triple option works there so that's just going to be the case it's more about whether what can temple do on the other side of the ball can they actually put up a fight against Army's defense, which is a little bit of an underrated defense in the nation here. I don't know what to make of this game. Like I said earlier, I think that that six points will definitely be – I could totally see Army winning this game by 10. So if you want to go that betting route there, there's probably a solid one there. The next game has also got a six-point line on it, but it's the road team is the six-point favor, and that's a 2-5 and five Tulsa team on the road – Taking on the Yukon Huskies at games at 12 p.m. on ESPNU. I guess for everything that I've said about how Temple has really struggled this season, maybe I'm not giving Yukon enough credit because their offense is actually doing okay in terms of yardage. They are averaging 431 yards on the season, which is, I guess, not too bad. I guess this could be a game where, you know, we might have see UConn get another win here just because we've been well documented of talking about how bad Tulsa's defense has been this season. Yeah, I don't think UConn runs the ball very well, 
So I think that might be a reason why Tulsa shouldn't have to worry. And we saw that Tulsa can stop the run when they need to. I don't know. I Well, I do know that <laughs> UConn doesn't have the same weight as a Houston does when they're when Tulsa's playing them. So that might be a factor for this game. Tulsa might not be nearly as motivated to play a UConn team that's struggled like we mentioned. And as we found out, it's the defense that's struggling. Now they had a better game last week, obviously, but it was against Temple. No offense, Joe. But ouch. I think that's, <laughs> hey, you gotta, gotta call it like you see it, you know? Uh, but the offense for UConn has been the surprise. Brian Sheriff's been playing well, throwing the ball and hasn't turned the ball over a lot, which has been a huge bonus for them because last year he struggled throwing the ball and he's only he only has four interceptions this year, which that's great for them going forward. And I, yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting game. Both teams are not where they thought they wanted to be at this point, but it it'll be a good test to even test our tiers that we just talked about. Like, is Tulsa really? in that third tier or do they belong in the fourth and same same with UConn do they belong in the bottom where they've been all season or can, are they showing that they're making a run to move up in the conference yeah this will be a good game to decide that you just said it that's a good that's a good way to put it there I I like that there but let's keep moving forward here this will be another pretty good mashup for the conference this weekend and that is you know, number 20 as we mentioned earlier UCF on the road Traveling on Annapolis to take on the Navy Midshipmen. That game's at 3.30 on the CBS Sports Network. The Knights are an eight-point favorite on the road. That's an intriguing number just because you know, we just talked about how triple offenses, triple option offenses work. And they're not really ones that put up potent numbers. We have seen UCF, doesn't matter who's in front of them, they are just blowing those teams out. Is this going to be another game where UCF just runs right through Navy's defense, or is Navy going to be able to to control that clock and maybe make something out of this game? I think if you watch the Memphis game, the fact that they had five, if you're if you're a Memphis or a Navy, excuse me Navy fan, the fact that they had five turnovers and they only lost by three is something that you really want to focus on. Like they could have won that game had they not turned the ball over five times. I mean, we could go into what ifs all day, but. The fact that they had five turnovers, which is an insane amount of turnovers to have in a game, and they only lost by three, is something that they can hang their hats on. They are at home, like you mentioned, and UCF has been running through everybody. But if you look at college football in general, you mean look at like Clemson. Now, don't don't start saying that I'm saying US, UCF is like Clemson, but Clemson was dominating teams that they were playing, and it was it seemed that. They weren't going to lose ever, and we were just going to see Alabama and Clemson, but UCF might be falling under that same spell. Not to the sense that they're going to lose, like they're, they're not ready for Navy, because when you play a triple option team, everybody focuses a little bit more because you have to play so much better, and you have to pay attention to more detail when you're, because everybody has an assignment to do. But, we also never see these upsets coming, and it's only eight points, so it won't be a huge upset, but nobody can see these coming going, you know, in the beginning of the week. And when we finally do see what happens with Navy's triple option, I think 
that it wouldn't be surprising to see them win. I'm not going to go as far to say that because I think last week kind of proved my point with Navy is they just weren't ready for a team that could actually play good football and their week schedule kind of caught up to them. All right. You said everything I was going to say, so I guess we could just go on to the next game. We're going to move on to later in the afternoon. A 4 p.m. game on ESPNU. That's SMU. That's four and two on the road at Cincinnati, which is two and five this season. Which kind of surprised me about this line is how it's a pick'em. That's shocking, considering obviously the two teams' records there. With the SMU, I just mentioned four and two, and Cincinnati two and five. We've seen SMU put up points offensively. I guess Cincinnati's strength is their defense, as we've talked about most of the season. I just really can't understand what Vegas is thinking with this line here. I think this is one. Uh, if you're a betting person at SMU, you got to jump on this one. Is a pick'em? You said. I'll pick them. As of what I saw earlier, let me make sure that I say this, that I'm saying this again. Oh, I don't see. That's what I get for trusting ESPN with stuff. You know what? Not a pick them. It's a nine point spread. Okay. That's me going on a legitimate site. Cause once, even I, once I looked at it, I was like, wait, that makes no sense. I was, that, that surprised But me. that's, that's what I get for trusting ESPN. Yeah, that's true. Ugh. That's true. I should have went right to the to the betting website itself. So the line's nine. That changes my thinking a little bit, or a lot of bit, I should say. Yeah, nine sounds a little bit better. That sounds a little bit better considering the records that I just mentioned. I guess just tell me what you think about this game here. I think this is a game that, you know, and I guess the spread now says it itself, that we could kind of see SMU just going in there. I don't want to say it's going to be an easy win considering that, the defense for Cincinnati is pretty solid, but this is a game that SMU should take. Otherwise, as you kind of just mentioned with the teams above, we should be questioning where SMU really ranks in our in our power rankings. Yeah, I don't doubt the offense will do their job for SMU. We, we've talked about them all year long. It might be the deepest offense that we have in the conference. I don't think there's any doubt about that, which now that I think about it, we have a lot of good offenses in this in this conference. You have you talk about UCF's offense, Memphis, and then you throw in even USF, and now you put SMU into that same category. It's kind of scary that Cincinnati now is <laughs> facing their third offense that's like that. And the nine points obviously makes me feel a little bit better about the line, even though Cincinnati is at home. But Cincinnati's kind of been trending towards that bottom tier that we talked about earlier, and even though SMU's offense has been suspect at times, I think that Cincinnati's offensive inconsistencies are going to be enough to let SMU win this one pretty easily. Agreed. I mean, I can't see just the way that Cincinnati's offense has been the past couple weeks, how they're going to be able to keep up with the SMU's high-powered offense that you just mentioned that, you know, they do feature some pretty solid offenses, and that even includes their defense is pretty bad, but the offense is doing their part, and that's the ECU Pirates. They will host a BYU team that I am actually very surprised to see is also with a 1-6 and six record. Uh, BYU is favored by 5.5 in this game. It's a 7 p.m. kickoff on CBS Sports Network. Again, I just said it. I'm really surprised that BYU has this record, but I still feel like this is a game where 
from what everything that we've seen from ECU this season, they're not going to be able to keep up with a BYU team that I think talent-wise is much better than the Pirates. Yeah, I agree with that. I think BYU's record has more to do with their schedule being tougher than ECU's. Like you've mentioned, they're, these aren't two, the same two one-loss teams. And I think we'll see that on Saturday. BYU's defense is always stingy and always hard to, to move the ball against. And ECU's shown random flashes of potential, but that's mostly been against bad teams. I guess they did, they did have USF on the ropes, but they haven't done anything like that since. And I just, yeah, like I said, BYU, it's more because of their schedule, and ECU has been far from consistent. BYU's got more talent, like you mentioned, and I think that's that's the big difference going into this one. And then last but not least, it's the last game of the night. It'll be number 16, USF, who is still undefeated at 6-0. and They'll be traveling to New Orleans to take on Tulane, who is at 500 with a 3-3 and record. That game can be seen on ESPN2. The Bulls are an 11.5-point favorite. I don't want us to go out and say that this is a game where Tulane is going to be able to pull off an upset, but I think that at least for the first half that this will be a game that actually that the Green Wave might be able to keep the Bulls on their toes a little bit considering the offense that they run there. You mentioned last week how well that we've seen the quarterback play be for Tulane this season. Hopefully that will continue against the USF defense, that is. I think each week, you know, we keep talking about their how well their offense is, but the defense has been performing much better under Charlie Strong this season. And this is kind of a little bit of something off-key off that I just kind of want to say here, but we've been doing a lot of talking about Ferguson, and last week we talked a lot about Mackenzie Milton, and that has really let uh, Quentin Flowers kind of fly under the radar is this a game where you can see him kind of making a stamp on his dominance in this conference, considering that this is one of the few games this week that's actually on that four-letter channel that I just messed up, or they just messed up on one of my uh, lines here? Well, we won't get into my first point, which is the fact that USF is still inexplicably ranked higher than UCF, but that's a topic for another day, and I'm sure we'll get to talk about it eventually, but... USF's struggled to start games. We've talked about their slow starts, and last week they had another slow start against Cincinnati. The score after one quarter was three to three, and it's Cincinnati. Like it's just they should. That's not a game that should be tied after the first quarter. They should be able to start faster, and that's to me that's the big reason why Flowers is like you said flying under the radar. If you look at Ferguson and Milton, they've had games where they've been super dominant and. Their teams start fast and they score fast and that's why they're getting most of the attention. But when you look at Flowers, his stats don't really come until, you know, second quarter at the earliest, even second half. And I think that's what's hurting him right now. So I could see, honestly, I could see both ways. I can see Flowers having a breakout performance here where he just dominates Tulane. But as we've seen, Tulane's not a pushover like they were last year, so I could also see them struggle again, and Tulane's, like you mentioned, got a chance to pull off an upset here. So like I said, I could see both ways. I could see dominating performance by USF, but given their track record, I could see a struggle, and then now we're talking about a Tulane upset. Yeah, that's why I kind of brought it up. That's 
you know, we have talked about the struggles the U.S. have had starting games this season. You mentioned it. I kind of, at this point, let's bring that up. Of the, I saw some other people mentioned that they didn't like where we have the power rankings with UCF on top of USF. I think it's well justified just because of what we have just been talking about right here, just because of the fact that UCF has just gone through and has just blown everybody out. USF is, yeah, in the end, they have nice scores once you see how the, the games end up, but you're not seeing the same kind of dominance, I feel like, that we're seeing from UCF. So I do agree with you in the sense that I don't understand why UCF is behind in the polls, and I do feel like it's the Knights. They should be on top of them. Yeah, I don't know if people are just not watching these two teams because I think if you you have to watch the games. If you just look at the scores, you're going to see that USF's obviously winning by double digits, and that's great. That's fine. I mean, you could look at scores all day, and if you want to look at who won by the most, then the top 25 will look completely different. But if you watch the games, we really need to watch the games with these two teams, you would see that these are not the same two teams, and you know which one's better. In fact, I think one of our writers, uh, the, our new writer, Luke, for UCF, tweeted something that was USF's FBS opponents that they played this year, so basically minus Stony Brook. They have a combined record of 9-28, and 28, and USF's average margin of victory is 28 points. And UCF's FBS opponents... Their record is a combined 15 and 17, and they've won by a combined, or excuse me, an average of 33.8 points. So, you know, neither record is great. It's not anything that's, you know, super telling, but you, you can see between those two which one is better. And if you, like I said, if you watch the, if you watch the games of these two teams, you know that UCF is clearly the better team. I get that they'll play later, and we'll figure that out right now, but the whole point of rankings is to use what has happened in the past to determine which team is better. And right now, for whatever reason, I mean, saw in the coaches' poll, USF was 13th, and I just lost my mind. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it just shows me that, like, people aren't watching these games because if you watched them, you would know which team is better. Agreed. I mean, everything you just said there is 100% right. People are going to look back at, you know, kind of back, dating back to last year, how dominant USF was last year as compared to the Knights this season. But I just don't think that you can really do that comparison because when the, when it comes to it, these polls are not based, I mean, you said it goes based on the past, but it goes based on the past of this year, not of necessarily what happened last year. And I think it was, it was Bill Connolly who said that he would have had UCF at number two if preseason rankings weren't taken into account. So I feel like those numbers you brought up earlier about the records, and I mean it's been well documented that who UCF has played have been much better teams. And I think what's kind of been a little bit under the radar that could knock them a little bit is the fact that they are still, and they're going to end the season playing one game less than most teams because of all the hurricane situation. And maybe that's part of the reason why. They're sitting behind all these other teams, but in the end, I I can't argue with anything that you said that based on what we've seen on the field so far this year, Milton's been the better quarterback. UCF has been the better team. I don't understand why that it might just come down to that, that final game of the year where we finally 
see that UCF is ahead of USF. But do you have anything else you want to say before we close out this show here? I guess the one other thing I would say is I could even make the argument that Memphis is better than USF. I get that Memphis has a loss, but they have two wins over top 25 teams. And so, I mean, I'm not going to put them third, but I think we people are starting hopefully to get the point that USF needs to start looking better in these games, even when they are blowing out teams. But other than that, like you said, things are just going to sort themselves out. We're going to figure everything out by the end of the year. But that's my only gripe right now. And if, I guess if that's my only complaint going halfway through the season, then I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah, and like we said earlier, now we're arguing about rankings for teams in our conference. So I guess that's necessarily a good thing, as we just said a little bit earlier. If this P6 movement is going to be legitimate, this is a good start. You know, it's good to see three, like I said earlier, three teams in here. And when it comes down to it, like we said, it could come down to that last game of the year. But I guess that's it for episode 30 of the Underdog Podcast. Thanks for listening. Again, make sure you're following on all the good stuff. I'm at Joe Serp on Twitter. Joey, tell them where you're at. Joey Broback, that's where you can find me. All right. It was good talking to you again, my friend. As always. And until next time, can't wait for this game on Thursday night. It should be a good one.